word why. What a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key. A key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world. Those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. Uh, what a treat spending some time with uh, Sammy Hagar. Uh, so many of you know him as the, the Red Rocker and of Van Halen fame and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and all these great things. But you are a legend in the spirit world, uh, Sammy, in, in all the research here. And so I feel like I should be having a beverage as we're speaking. Uh, <laughs> uh, tell, me what, tell me what it was for you that you said, you know what, this is a fantastic mix. I want to have a beverage while we're speaking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bet that's your beverage too. Yes, it is. So, <laughs> uh, tell me about the. Tell me about when you said to yourself, "Look, it. There's much more. Maybe not more, but there's there are other opportunities outside of music, outside of the things that people had sort of grown to know about you and to follow you in fandom in that regard and support your career uh, of note in that manner. What was it about the spirit world in that regard or spirits in general that you said, you know what? I think I can really do this. I can crush it, and uh, I'm going to enjoy doing it. Well, I first got into wine uh, in my 30s, you know, way, way back in the 70s. Uh, a gentleman in England uh, had a wonderful wine collection, and I, I never drank good wine in my life. You know, I wasn't even a drinker, quite honestly. I'm still not a giant drinker. But um, and he took me to dinner and and he said, you know, we're going to have this 61 Latour. OK, that with uh, this rack of lamb, we had a Kim, a 45 uh, Chateau Yakim with um, prosciutto and peaches. And at the end, we had a port, a 27 Martinez port with blue cheese. Now, I never had any wine before in my life. And those were three of the greatest wines on the <laughs> planet, right? And I, I just went, oh my God, I, I, I got into wine. So long story short, I, I started getting into wine started collecting wine, went straight back to California. At that time, 72, 73 Mondavi uh, private reserves were coming out. It's about 75, 1975, 76. So those 72, 73 are coming out. So I bought a case of that. And then, you know, I started getting into Bordeaux. Anyway, so I really dove deep into wine. I had a good palate and I would never think about doing anything unless I thought I could do it better. You know, even quite honestly, when I joined Van Halen, if I didn't think I could sing better than the previous guy, I wouldn't have joined that band. I'm not trying to be funny. The God's truth. I thought, man, I could have, you know, somebody asked me to replace, you know, Stephen, Freddie Mercury. I said, get the hell out of here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks. I don't want that job. But so when I first went to Mexico and to buy furniture for my condo that I bought down in Cabo and I built the Cabo Wabo. I was building the Cabo Wabo. And I went to Jalisco, to Guadalajara, to buy furniture. And my friend, my Mexican partner, said, hey, let's go to tequila. Let's go into Jalisco and taste some tequilas. So I said, oh, man, tequila. Woo. I used to love tequila. But I said, man, it don't love me. And, you know, <laughs> so when we got there and I tasted 100% agave, another one, another one, had a margarita from 100% agave with hand-squeezed lime and beautiful, you know, kosher or sea, sea salt, probably. And, and with hand squeezed, wonderful limes, Mexican limes in a, 
uh, an orange liqueur. I'd never had a, a drink like that in my life. And I just said, I want to make tequila. I want to build the, the Cabo Wobble. I want it to be a tequila bar. I want to get all the tequila. We went to all the different places and got all these bottles of tequila, put them in cases, brought them back to the to my condo and with the furniture and everything else. And I just said, I'm going to blow people's minds. I'm going to make my own tequila. If, can, one of these guys do it. Uh, the Rivera family. Sure, you bring me the bottles, you know, you crazy gringo. We'll put tequila in your bottles for you, you know, pay them in pesos. Eh, eh, eh. Case. I had five cases of tequila is how I started with Cabo Wobble. And everyone I got to drink it, everyone's, oh, man, I don't drink tequila. Well, no, I'm sick as ever been in my life. And everybody had the same story. Try this. And they go, wow, this is like no tequila I've ever had. So that's really how it, it began. It was like, for me, an ego trip going, man, I'm going to blow everybody's mind. I want to have my Cabo Wabo tequila. But it didn't happen until Andrew Diaz Blue, a, a food and wine critic, uh, tasted it at the Cabo Wabo and wrote an article on uh, American Airlines magazine that said, one of the greatest tequilas in the world, you know, Cabo Wabo tequila, you know, top three tequilas I ever tasted in my life. And I'm going, wow, my phone started ringing. I didn't know nothing about it. <laughs> You're in it. business. So, so. Yeah, so you're asking me how how I I thought about it. I didn't think about it. It, it got me and and uh, pulled me into the business. And Wilson Daniels, who had Romani Conti wines, which I knew about, when Wilson calls me and Jack Daniels saying, "Hey, uh, we would like to import your tequila," and I'm going, "Sure," <laughs> but I didn't have any tequila. I had you know my my little bottle. So it, one just step by step, call up my friend Chef Gordon. Chef, what do I do here? I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to do this. Well, let's find out. And boom, 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 boom. Next thing I know, that it exploded. I was so lucky that I came in at that time. Everybody else was saying, oh, man, you were so smart to get in early like that. I said, once again, uh, I it's like walking walking along and you step in it and go, man, I, I can't get this off my shoe, man. It's gum. <laughs> it's like stuck with it. So I'm, I'm lucky like that. But I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think I had something that was better than anything on the market. At that time... You know, the, the people were were drinking um, stuff with worms in it, man. You know, yeah. sorry. It was, you know, nothing, mixed those. There was no 100% agave. Patron and Cabo Wabo came out the same year. So with these new ones, with, with tequila, when I started making, the next time I did it, I said, I'm going to make mezcal because I don't want to compete with myself because Cabo Wabo is my baby, you know. And um, I didn't. I went to Oaxaca and tried all the mezcals and all this stuff. And, and yeah, you didn't like it, like right? Mezcal. That's what I heard. You didn't like mezcal. No, I, I still don't. You know, the best ones, I don't like. The You know, the, the more smoky and the more intense they are, the ones that are real expensive and people go, well, would you try this one? I'm going, no. Ah, I feel like I just smoked a cigar. So I tried to blend it and then came up with the first world's first mezcal. And that's all I wanted to do until Guy Fieri calls me up and goes, dude, what do you mean you're making tequila again? I told you, you know, which he did when he heard I sold the Cabo Wabo. He dude, if you ever do that again, you know I'm a tequila guy. I want to make tequila with you. Let's be partners. I said, absolutely, absolutely. And I forgot about him. So uh, he said, as soon as I brought him on, though, we're making a, we're going to make a Blanco first. I said, well, taste the Blanco itself that we use in this because it's the best Blanco in the freaking world. And he, he tasted it and said, yeah, that's unbelievable. So then we put it in barrels. So we start making tequila again. And say, like, here we go again. I, I never do anything. I'm always forced into it. I'm always bamboozled into it. Ha, a, a series I'm of happy accidents. 
There you go. You know what? That's what I should. My, my next book should be called The Happy Accident. My biography should have been called. There you go. We'll write it together, Sammy. Uh, So take me back. So take this obviously goes back years, but uh, your, your family. So growing up in Salinas, uh, you know, working in the lettuce fields, how do you think that that, what did that, did that implant something in you when it comes to hard work, when you think about sort of working and seeing people work um, the environment in that regard. Cause when you're telling the story about how you got, you know, sort of stepped into tequila <laughs> literally and figuratively, right. It's almost as if I'm picturing you even as a young boy, seeing that with your family. Right. So uh, how do you connect the two? Do you think that it was sort of destined that you'd be able to do something that was from the earth in that regard, there were ingredients, there was so much more to the way in which you wanted to participate well, you know, but that's a really deep question because I think maybe you're right. I, I honestly, I grew up, we always had a garden. We had chickens. We were poor. My grandfather lived in a trailer, but he was a, a chef, a fantastic artisanal chef. He made everything. He made his own butter. He made his own freaking uh, sausages and, and salamis and stuff, uh, cheese. He made his own pasta. You, you, he made his own olive oil. I mean, he just did everything. He made his own wine. And you would walk into his trailer and it was like an Italian deli and it smelled so damn good. He was such a great chef that I grew up around pulling food out of the earth, eating it. Uh, fantastic cooks, my mom and my grandpa, making great, great food. I could smell it. We'd go, go into grandpa's house. I could smell it a block away, man. You know, it's like, oh, man. Woo. You know, he'd be in there whooping up the pasta sauces and stuff. So. My nose and palate and all that really was accustomed to good food. We were poor. I never went to a restaurant until I was in Montrose on the road when I was 24. And the first time I went to a salad bar in a, in a Holiday Inn, I went, this is horrible. <laughs> you know, the salad just wasn't like coming from our garden. And my grandma and my mom, everyone, they canned everything. You know, so we ate tomatoes out of, in jars all year round. So they were good tomatoes. I never had a bad tomato. Just things like that. So, uh, yeah, I think when I uh, tequila appealed to me because and like fine wine, too, because it's really about the grape. It's about what it's made from, you know, to where vodka it's just grain. You make it out of anything. Most most things you can make it out of anything. And I happen to like potato vodka, by the way. The first time I had a potato vodka, I went, oh, this is pretty cool. Other than that, I'm going, vodka, what do you drink a vodka for? Just for the buzz. So tequila was like tastes like the earth, tastes like salt. Tastes like a citrus and overtones and fruity and 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 herbaceous things like it. You get like thyme, you get lemon, you get all. So it kind of took you back to your grandfather's you trailer, didn't it? Yeah, out of a blanco tequila, I could name fifteen different things I could smell at in ours because it's nothing else in it. You get other ones. You're going, oh, this smells like somebody put sugar in it. Oh, this smells like honey because they put honey in it. You know what? You know the, the, the tequila's not as pure as it as it should be anymore because gobbies are getting smaller and they have to do a lot of things to bring it up. They're using a lot of concentrate, a lot of gobby syrups to call it hundred percent agave. I can taste the difference, but our tequila, Santo tequila Blanco, you drink it by itself. Wow. There's so many notes in there. Peaches. They got peaches all over our, our distillery uh, has guy grows peaches all around it. And it's like, you can taste and smell the peaches in there. It's, it's, it's just, it's such a wonderful, wonderful spirit. Uh, agave spirits are just to me nothing like them Let, let's talk about 
choices that people make as entrepreneurs, and you've been public about this. So I, I say this with great deference to your, your rearing and, and as a young boy, and you, you've mentioned your, you know, your father as a boxer and, and struggles with alcohol. You know, as a musician, oftentimes I think the general public who, you know, it doesn't have the talent, <laughs> they're not on the stage, right? They, they listen to music and it resonates with them emotionally, right? And a lot of times people will write music and play music that speaks to a story that they've experienced to some degree. Is there a fantastic irony or is it, is it therapeutic uh, for you to be in a business that from 10,000 feet created some discord in the family because of some of the challenges your dad had? Headroom is produced by Old Soul, a one-stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand and nuance. Reach out to my guy, Matt at Old Soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy. That's Old Soul. Shoot Matt a note at aoldsoul.com. That's A-O-L-D-S-O-U-L.com. And now back to our guest. You know, I've thought about that long and hard. And whether I make tequila or rum or my cocktails, my can't RTDs or not, if someone's an alcoholic, they're going to be an alcoholic. And they're not going to be an alcoholic because of me. And I always talk to my fans about be careful after every show. I say, please take care of yourselves. Take, you know, be, you want to see you next year. I make it a point not to uh, make a mistake and, um, and overdo anything. I, I personally, I don't ever really get drunk. You know, I get a little, I love a good buzz and I like to get high, you know, that point and then keep it right there. You know, the way I drink is I'll do a shot of tequila if I'm going to the Cabo Wobble, if I'm going to really be partying. Let's call it the, Sammy's going to party tonight. He's going to, you know, have a good time. He's going to dance. He's going to play music. He's going to have food. And I'll do a shot of tequila in two sips. One, take your time. A little bit of salt first, always for the first one. Not all night, just for the first one. And do it again. Maybe get another shot. Take your time. 15, 20 minutes, two shots. Give me a nice margarita. I'm going to go socialize. And I pick up margarita, walk around talking, drinking margarita. And when that's gone, yeah, it just got warm. Give me another one. Maybe I'm start dancing a couple hours later. I might need another shot. I'm going to, I'm going to do another shot. I'm going to jump on stage, you know, get on stage. That's, you know, and by the end of the night, I've had maybe five or six cocktails in, a, in four or five, six hours. And I go home and have a nice night's sleep, you know, and it's like, I'm not saying, well, you know, I'm going to do <laughs> guys. I've seen guys walk into Cabo Wobble and sit down and order like eight shots of tequila. Bam, bam, bam. And then like 20 minutes later, that guy is like, you know, it's like, you didn't remember what happened that night. <laughs> you didn't have a good time at the Cabo Wobble. What happened? Uh, so I really, I really recommend doing everything in moderation, having a good time. So that's my answer about my father. It still breaks my heart what happened to him with the money and the knowledge and the power I have today in my life. I could have helped him so much. You know, I could have cured him and I would have cured him. But um, it wasn't in the cars back then. People, they didn't even have places. My dad, when we tried to put him away, finally, because he always got in trouble, he would get drunk. He was the kind of guy that would go out and get in a fight with the police. He, you know, he wouldn't allow himself to be taken to jail. He, he was a boxer and he beat the shit out of the cops, you know, and come home and then they'd come and get him. And it was a mess. So when we put him away, they put him in a mental institution. They didn't have anything to do with alcohol. They put him in with completely crazy people. And uh, 
he escaped. <laughs> he ran away. So man, you ran I don't away. want to be in here. I mean, that's how bad it was back then. I wish I would have. All I can say is I wish I would have made it sooner and being able to help him. But uh, Sammy, I, one, I appreciate your your candor and transparency in that. I think people can relate on so many levels to it um, and, and just the human aspect of it. Can you talk a little bit about being an entrepreneur? I think, look, I've got young kids. Kids today think about being an entrepreneur, right? They think about how many businesses they're going to own. But from your story there, it does feel like, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that if you're going to start something, one, to your point, at from an, you know, like if you're going to do it, do it because it's going to be better than what it was before or something like that, right? But that you should do something that you're tied to emotionally, that you can be passionate about. It's like your partner guy talked to me about, it's, it's not 24-7, it's 25-8, right? It's something that you just want to do all the time. <laughs> all the time. That's, that's, that sounds like guy, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, it does. And he's more than me. I'm, I'm maybe 24, seven. I'm, I might be 26, six and a half, you know, <laughs> but he's, he's, he's 30, 30. Uh, he, he, I love the guy. He's the greatest partner you can have, you know, being an entrepreneur, uh, after you've had success, it's so much better than if I would have come up in the business world. I'm going to say this. I hope no one gets insulted, but Usually when you come up in the business world and you get successful with the business, you get kind of money hungry and, and power hungry. And I think I would have been more into the money and the business and did things that weren't out of passion. But because I came through music and had all the success, fame and fortune that anyone could ever want in their lives. When I started doing business deals, it was strictly out of passion, out of creativity. It, it, it had the, it had this a very good connection to the music. You know, I found that drinking tequila and margaritas at the Cabo Wobble when I'm on stage playing and you're eating the food that I designed the menu and the fans come there, we all had a much bigger and better experience because we were drinking my booze, eating my food, listening to my music in my home, you know, and that enlightened me to, I do things out of passion to where otherwise I think, I'm a pretty good businessman. I'm not as good as people think I am. I'm, I'm just very lucky and I'm, I'm passionate enough to find things that, that just work for my lifestyle that people say, oh, look how much fun he's having. Maybe we should live more like that. So uh, I've been lucky to have all that going. But the main thing I have is that I roll things into just to passion projects it ain't about the money. It's about making the best things. It's almost like the ego trip. I mean, I, Guy and I talk about it all the time. I love that he gets it. I'm saying it's almost like our ego trip. Like we say, oh, yeah, we'll taste our stuff. You know, it's going to be better. And we mean it not in a like, oh, yeah, I'll show you. It's kind of like we're happy and we're proud. It makes you proud to make products like that. To where like my business sense, if it wouldn't have been for all that, I probably would have been a, a businessman and I'd have been like, you know, wearing suits and sitting behind a desk somewhere and be miserable with all my money in the bank. <laughs> the, the red, the red rocker in the queue. You know say? It's a possibility. That's a large, that's a small possibility that that could have happened to me. <laughs> what, is, what is your perspective? You know, when you're of, poor. No, please. Well, when you're poor, when you grow up poor, you know, you want to be somebody, right? So thank God for rock and roll. I got to be somebody in a different way without being a, you know, I mean, you know how many businessmen you've seen, they're all puffed up. Oh, I got more money than you. Oh, I made this investment today. And man, I just made $300,000. <laughs> My partner got fucked. You know, he's, you know, it's like, <laughs> no, I, I don't, I'm just not that kind of guy. 
And, and so, yeah, it's pretty cool what music did for me. Like music gets all the credit. Then my mom. And then your mom. <laughs> you know, a lot of people who've had success in one career, there is this, it's, I, fear maybe not the word, but there may be this reticence that if they do something different, right, or they sort of add to their legacy, that there's this concern that the general public will see think that they're just doing that for a bigger payday to leverage the prior success that they've had. But you've been early on in this game, the tequila game, right? You, I mean, we have now so many celebrities that have gotten into this game and we've seen these astronomical numbers that have been flipped, right? And people's fortunes have just doubled and tripled and these sorts of things. How do you look at that? I mean, cause I don't get the sense that you ever cared about that because it was passion because it wasn't, you weren't seeking it. It was, it sounds like it found you, so I don't get the sense that you were ever nervous that people are going to go, yeah, but I know Sammy Hagar as the front man over here. And now he's doing this, you know, like, how do you interpret that? Yeah, I've been that? criticized. You, you know, have. it's so funny. I, I've been criticized for it. And it really bothers me because I don't, people, uh, I've have get comments, you know, the, the internet snipers, you know, you put out an Instagram, hey, I got a new, you know, my new RTDs, you know, these, uh, you know, canned cocktail drinks. They're the best. These are the best. The best RTDs on the market. Right here, 130 calories, agave syrup, not sugar, so that I can get the flavor without the calories. 5.5 alcohol. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, best, right? That's why I'm trying to say. And people go, man, how much money do you need? I said, I don't need any money. What are you talking about? I went, my, my friends are coming over with this fucking bullshit cans and stuff for wanting to go poolside to take to the beach. And I try one. I'm going, can't swallow it. This is horrible. I'm going to make something better. And I get all excited during COVID because, you know, I could, I was kind of strapped down with a lot of time on my hands. So I developed these things and it's like my restaurants, you know, I, I see say, how many more restaurants you want? I, if I could have 5,000, if I could have a Sammy's beach bar and grill in every airport, in every city in this country, I would be the happiest guy in the world because I could give about a $50 million a year away to kids and families in need and feed people because that's what I do with that money. I don't take that money. Every, when I started Sammy's Beach Bar and Grills, I made a deal with host. You run the place. You pay me a royalty of 5% of the gross of the thing so I don't have to worry about the business. I don't, I don't have to go with it. That's all the money I made. How much money did you make? Here's how much money I make. I know what it is. I put it in the Hagar Family Foundation and I help children in the cities where the restaurant is in Maui. All of it goes to Maui. In Honolulu, goes to Honolulu. Cleveland, goes to Cleveland. Uh, Las Vegas, goes to Las Vegas. And I and I keep hustling those guys saying, come on, man, let's get some more restaurants. Number one, I'm creating jobs and I'm feeding people and helping kids, terminally Ill, Ill families in Maui, where I've been doing it the longest. There's no better feeling on the planet. If you want to feel what love feels like, you give it like that. When you give, that's when you feel. You can't take love and you can't take you say, I want to feel good about myself. Hey, man, make me feel good. <laughs> it ain't going to happen, dude. you got to do something that makes you feel good about yourself, yourself, you know. And so that's my whole reason for, for being an entrepreneur now. Because honestly, I drive my wife and, and my kids crazy. You know, it's like, hey, dad, when are you going to get off the phone and come in here, man? I need to talk to you. You know, my wife's, well, you know when are you coming to bed? I'm working on something. Uh, I, I, I love it. I'm driven to, to help people now. You know, knowing how poor I was, I can remember two or three situations where my mother got help, and it was like, wow, what a gift. I mean, we're talking about a gift from God that somebody gave my mom a job when she had no education, didn't even know how to type, 
you know, never, never had a typewriter. And they said, well, you got to learn how to type. And she went to a night school class and learned how to type. And that person let her have that job. And it changed. You know, she could all send feed her kids without going collecting garbage and, and digging, uh, you know, and picking fruit and vegetables, you know, uh, with, yeah, seriously. <laughs> so, you know, I see what you, one little thing could change everything for someone if they're really the right people. And so I like helping people. So, so let's close with this, Sammy. When you think back, so that, that high that you just expressed when you're helping people, how do, how do you compare that? How do you square that with or understand a different high? I mean, think about, you know, the, the heyday of Van Halen and, and being in a packed stadium. I almost think like an athlete in, in the zone, as they call it. Are they, are they equivalent when you think about the help that you've, the support you've, you've given to communities, you know, um, where you have provided assistance? Like, how do you think about that? Because I think people see you as the red rocker in that regard, but I see you when we're talking together and I'm watching you talk about giving back and man, that hits you. There's a different emotional undertone to you when you talk about that. And I'm wondering if it's similar to the high you might've felt as a performer. Well, they're both addictive. (laughs) You you get addicted to walking out on stage and have people screaming for you. And it's a different kind of thing. That is a really emotional euphoric. That's very euphoric. You know, you feel like it's like having sex. It's like, you know, doing euphoric drugs, you know, which I'm not above having tried a few things in my life. And when you get that high, that's different. It's disconnected from, from normal but the feeling you get from giving back and you get to meet a child that maybe you had a, a liver transplant and you helped and the family get that done and you meet the child before and you meet the child after and the way they look at you and the way the parents look at you, that's a more of a spiritual feeling. It's subtle, but it's so, it's so addicting. You know, you just go, I just want to do this for everybody. <laughs> you know, I want to do this again tomorrow, you know, and it, it's no, your ego is not attached to that. For some reason, mine isn't anyway. Uh, I don't think anybody's would be. It's so real. It, it feels more God, closer to God and not into an euphoric situation. It's more of a godly human on this planet Earth, this beautiful place in this universe. And look at the stars and feel, think. It just expands your heart and not your any other part of your body, I don't think. you know, A little bit for your mind. You start thinking about, what can I do to do more of this, <laughs> you know, where, where can I find a way to be able to do more of this? Yeah. Well, Sammy, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I, I will say this, uh, you may have left the, the lettuce fields of Salinas, California, but the lettuce fields have not left you. And I think we're all the better for it. Uh, continued success. And uh, the next time I listen to one of your classics, maybe I'll be toasting to, uh, to one of your spirits. Thanks so much, Sammy. Thank you, sir. And right now I'd give you the high, high, biggest high five. I'll give you a big hug. I love this interview. Thank you for talking about that stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom, where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom. Headroom.